0: Well hello and welcome to episode 164 of The Cool Room and a big happy new year to you uh, listening in 2023. Uh, this was our final live recording for 2022 uh, and a real treat. Uh, an episode with Hawkers Brewery. We've been hanging out for so, so, so long to make it happen. Uh and thank you to everyone who came out and was a part of the live audience. We had a ball, a huge thanks to the Hawkers for hosting us and being so generous, an extra big thanks, of course, to Pete and Naomi, two of our excellent Paul Rumans, as I've decided to describe uh, all of our listeners, uh, and excellent to have you uh, all on board uh, for another fun year. Uh, please get over to our online Shopify store and grab some beers uh, to help support the podcast. It's a great way to make sure that we can keep doing what we're doing. Uh, and uh, if you haven't already heard, we've changed the way we're doing our monthly subscription packs. We're now doing a 12-pack each month for just $99 Australian plus delivery. Uh, and that gets you all the beers you need, whether you're joining us online in the Zoom room live on Thursday nights or listening to the podcast version, that's the way you can have the right beers in your fridge and in your hand when you're listening to us, Uh, and we really appreciate that as a way to keep things ticking along here. Uh, Without any further ado, let's go over to Mr. Warren Wu and get today's podcast with Hawkers underway.
1: Let's get on with uh, what we're doing in Reservoir 4 here now. Reservoir? Yeah, Reservoir. Reservoir, please. (laughs) Reservoir.
0: (laughs) See, Um, that wasn't the bit that I thought we were going to have trouble pronouncing about. No, no, (laughs) no.
1: Yeah, I'm in in anticipation of the next bit, yeah. Uh, So we've got the founder of Hawkers. We're super lucky to have the founder of Hawkers with us. Oh, here we go. Mazen Haja. (laughs) <laughs> Hi! Hi! How are you doing? How, how, how stressful was that? Yeah, really. <laughs> unbelievable. Um, thank you for letting us uh, do our thing in your in your car park. It, oh. It's an amazing spot to be drinking beer out the front of the front of your facility. Um, so normally, what we do is we have a couple of guests and they introduce each other. But since it's you going solo, tell us about the Hawker's journey. Tell us about about how we got here today. Uh, We got here today. Interesting. Uh, It's It's a very wide-ranging question.
0: I I did spend a lot of time typing up a really long list of questions, and really you've just asked the one question that rules them all. That rules them all, (laughs) right?
2: Um, It's it's back from a family obsession of um, creating food Mm -hmm. as being the noblest thing a human being can do as a job. Uh, I was taught that by my dad, who was ironically a member of parliament and a lawyer, the most useless thing on earth <laughs> uh, but his his don't, idea... don't tell
0: my ex, my, my wife my current wife my wife who's an ex-member of parliament <laughs> and now a lawyer so a, I, was trying uh, to, uh, I had to get the ex into the right bit of that sentence and I messed it up You're now ex-husband <laughs> yes, and, I think I, yeah, I'm yeah. working on it by the feel, by the feel of things <laughs> uh, uh, And what a way to find out.
2: (laughs) I mean, Trump was tweeting, and here we go, podcast. Um, But yeah, so his his idea was that the reality is um, people need sex, air, water, and food to survive. Mm -hmm. And um, there, there is a general disdain for people who produce food because they get their hands dirty, and it's manual labor, and it's unsophisticated. Whereas in reality, they're the ones that are essential to everyone else's uh, existence. And Mm so when I was a kid, he made me garden and plant things. And and, uh, we had orchards. We used to plant oranges and lemons and banana trees. And as I grew up, I wanted to retire and grow grapes and make wine. But uh, there was 120 vineyards in Lebanon uh, and one brewery. And I fucking hate monopolies. (laughs) And so I decided to take on Heineken, which seemed quite reasonable at the time, Mm. especially in the middle of a war. And I started the freshcraft craft brewery in the Middle East um, when the Israelis were bombing Hezbollah. I had never been to a brewery in my life. I actually tried to go to the Heineken brewery in Lebanon, um, and I was told in no uncertain terms that it will be a cold day in hell when they let me tour the brewery. Um, I guess they must have thought that they were making nuclear reactors in there <laughs> not beer but anyway here we are eight years after setting up 961 beer um we had grabbed five percent market share in lebanon which wow which is uh, you know on, on a scale it's it's mm. quite significant um in lebanon it's uh, it's a tiny population that doesn't drink much beer so it was two-thirds of fuck all <laughs> um, but um then the region kind of went to shit with Syria and Gaza, and now Netanyahu's back in Israel, So, and Lebanon's going through the meltdown. But mm-hmm. I anticipated that with my ex-wife, and we thought we'd move out to um, a place that we both loved, Melbourne, uh, and uh, sp- start brewing here. And that's how Hawkers was born in 2015.
1: Um, was there something specific that brought you to a Reservoir? Or was a there...
2: yes, a street sign that said "for lease." I had. Have... <laughs> <laughs> I, w- I was driving around with my with uh, with um, my distributor at the time, and we were looking for spaces to start this brewery. And uh, we passed by a sign. I looked at the shed, and I was like, "Fuck, that looks good." And uh, the minute we signed the lease, back in two thousand fourteen, when we started. The first reaction was, what the hell are you doing in this
1: <laughs>
2: This was no man's land. Like, literally, when I first moved to Australia, I moved into Edwards Street, right on the edge of Edwards Lake, where the, where the big train, uh, the steam engine is in the park. Mm. Mm. And I think in the first three months I was here, there was a stabbing, a shooting. And then on Henty Street, there was a house burned down because some idiot tried to hydroponic grow marijuana in his uh, (laughs) attic and burnt the house down and one night as i was heading back home there were seven police cars with guns drawn and two poor schmucks with their hands up in the air um, at that house not realizing what had happened i was like jesus maybe i should cross the street and pretend like i'm reading something on my ipad so yeah reservoir wasn't a cool place it now has been gentrified i don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing but it's become cool to be a reservoirian <laughs> from Reza um, you know there's a, there's an archery place right across the street there's a metal uh, works studio a bunch of artists do statues and metal works there's a photo a uh, foot uh, and uh, film place production house there's a studio for um, furniture there's a coffee roaster behind us
0: there's a, feathers, a Feather Holdings business over the road, which I actually saw the Feather Holdings bit before I looked further on and yeah. saw the sleeping bag sign, which I guess contextualises it, but literally Feather Holdings. I've never seen a Feather Holdings building before. Th-
2: that's not the one you need to worry about. It's, <laughs> it's the, it's the un, un, unbranded one right next to it. Yeah. When we came here, that was the big mystery, and we felt like, who has that place?
0: There's a lot of barbed wire around it.
2: There's a lot of... And, and one night... Late at night, there were police officers, lights on, fucking police cars everywhere, and we thought this was a math lab. It turns out this is the Department of Agriculture, uh, of sorry, Education archive. They keep exams and <laughs> oh. fucking useless papers yeah. in there.
0: Probably some of my best works over there. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> so yeah, uh, nothing as exciting, unfortunately. But you know, the, the, it's. Uh, this, by the way, in case, in case the, our, uh, your listeners are hearing a lot of the noise, this is Reservoir. We still, although it's gentrified, we still get a lot of fuckwits doing donuts in the street.
0: Well, a shout-out to everyone in Reservoir, particularly the good people of Purex Feather Hodings. That's <laughs> uh, a really bad place for an L to have fallen off a sign. But, um... <laughs> Let's um, talk beer, Warrigal.
1: Yeah, uh, so Maz from Reza, <laughs> from Reza. <laughs> uh, tell us, uh, we're, we're kicking off with two beers. So the yes. first one, uh, you've just declared your favourite beer at the moment that you make, the Lucky right. Thirteen, and we've also got Read between the lines, which is a, a lime Berliner uh, which is which is yeah incredible as well. Um, let's start with the the bohemian pilsner tell us about the bohemian pilsner tell us like uh give us a little bit of a, a tasting and tell us why it's your favorite
2: well i've ever since day one i love pilsners mm-hmm. it's, it's not i've grown to love pilsners like a lot of craft beer these days seems to be heading towards lagers back into lagers i've never been off lagers i just don't like very light lagers that Mm -hmm. That's just my taste buds. I've always been a pilsner person. I love pilsners. And um, when we first started Hawkers, we had 3 core co-range beers. We had a pale ale, an IPA, and a pilsner. And our original pilsner, which is still our uh, original pilsner, our core range pilsner, is a beautiful pilsner that uses a lot of New Zealand hops and a lot of German hops. It's Mm -hmm. more of a German pils rather than a... Uh, uh, a Czech-style pilsner um, made with New World hops. Um, I wanted to go and do a proper long lagered 45 IBU, 100% floor-malted Bohemian pilsner malt mm-hmm. pilsner. And that's, that's where Lucky 13 came from. And 13 is, is, you know, anyone who, who, who's been to the Czech Republic knows that um, the Czech beers are labeled according to the degree plato at which they're brewed at. Oh, yeah. So it's 13 degrees plato, which is basically 5.4% ABV, uh, finishes at 5.4% ABV. Um, it, it's one of my favorite beers um, because anyone who can brew a really good pilsner tells me that they can brew. Sticking shit in hazies is, is just easy, right um, it, it masks a lot of it 's a very forgiving beer mm-hmm. that that can hide a lot of a lot of brewing technique this This specific bohemian pilsner that that we 've brewed is unfiltered, which makes it even more impressive that the guys are able to get it down to this clarity
1: level mm-hmm. it 's yeah, completely one
2: hundred percent unfiltered. Um, I'm in love with this beer
1: yeah it's it 's great no, I was just saying before we started recording that it 's on really high rotation in my fridge it 's just one of those delicious things where where yeah there 's almost no time you you, you wouldn 't feel like cracking one and drinking yeah. it it 's just got got a really del- delicious kind of clean character to it um does, does the market share your love of this beer? Are there, I Absolutely
2: mean... not. <laughs> it's the biggest fucking joke ever. Everyone you talk to says, oh, Pilsners are my favorite. They buy one and then they go back to buying 3,000 different shades of the same hazy. Right? <laughs> yes, oh, my God. Yeah. This one's got 10% more citra than mosaic. It must be different to the last one. And uh, people talk about lagers all the time. Yep. They, they sell two-thirds of This is... A crime of passion, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> um, this is because I love this beer. It's, it holds up a tank. The specific batch was nine weeks in tank.
0: I was going to ask about yeah, that. Yeah, so nine weeks.
2: Nine weeks. And, and we have every ability to move beer a lot quicker. But mm-hmm. we, we, we love this beer. We, we nurture it. And then we release it. And then it sells the first batch. We always make a bit extra. For seconds and then people treat it like a limited release they buy one can and then they fuck off to the next thing mm. it, it, it bugs me because this is technically the most solid beer in the market not not lucky 13 but business
1: mm-hmm. um do, who is there someone in the organization that says mazin we should really stop producing so much of this because it takes up this resource like is there a balance yes. that you hit yeah. yes
2: my cfo he hates me. <laughs> <laughs> i keep and and i keep chucking more hops and at, at ipas and uh, he wants me to chuck less hops doesn't really matter he's now he's, he's been converted um our, our cfo chris when he came to the brewery didn't really care about beer and now he's into triple hazies. It's, it's, <laughs> I think we've created the fucking monster. It's scary. Is, is that
0: when it's time to get rid of him and bring in another CFO who's sort of you know, a bit harsher and doesn't, doesn't have the love? No. I,
2: I, it, he'd, I'm given a choice. He'd probably like to slave drive everyone to make up for the price of hops. But he doesn't get any say in it anyway. So it's, 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 it's pretty good. No, um, we're, we have a pretty balanced team. But the team loves making this beer. So I get no whinging from anyone. Plus it means less tanks available for me to harass them to make more other stuff. <laughs> so that they get time off.
0: Excellent. In terms of your tanks and everything, you know, what, what size, you know, cute have you got out the back? How much sort of capacity have you got?
2: We produced about four million liters last year. Um, mm. which is, you know, we when we started we were brewing once, twice a week. Now we brew five, six times a day. Um, it's uh, it's full-on. We do two shifts. We don't do 24 hours, but uh, we might have to get to that point at some point. I don't know when. Um, we have a 40 hectoliter brew house, which means 4,000 liters. It's a five-vessel, so it can take us up to 10 times a day if we wanted to. Uh, we have done 10 times a day, uh, and we can brew high gravity as well, so that increases our capacity again. Um, we have... We started with five 8,000-litre fermenters and th- uh, three 16,000-litre fermenters. And there was an argument with my co-founder back then. I wanted to start with a 100 hectoliter brew house and have the smallest tank be 100 hectoliters, which is a 10,000-litre brew house. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to start with 1,000 litres. And so we kind of got to 4,000
0: litres as a <laughs> As a compromise that no one liked.
2: As a compromise that no one liked. And then he left the business to concentrate on these other businesses. So I hated him for making me do this. Um, but it, in, in, in the early days, our, we, we still don't have a pilot system. So at Hawkers, we don't test recipes out. We just make the beer. Um, so our test recipe is 8,000 liters. Well, our, yeah. um, and during COVID, the guys were like, this is nuts. Mm-hmm. We want to play a bit more. So we moved from five 8,000 liters and thirty three sixteen thousand 16,000 liters. We added another ten sixteen thousand 16,000 liters. <laughs> and then we added a 32,000 liter, which can actually do 40,000, but we're using it as a 32,000 liter tank now. And during COVID, we added two 4,000 liter tanks. Wow. We added one at the beginning, which was half the size of our small one. So now our pilot system is... 4,000 litres. Um, yeah, we, we it, it was for the guys to play. <laughs> uh, and then they loved it so much we had to add another one. So they want more, but that's it.
1: What, what happens to the beer that they, they play in? You it get all of it. Yeah. It all goes out.
2: It all goes out. It all goes out. So the, the, the strength, I think, one of the greatest strengths that we have at Hawker's is is certainly not my uh 40 but the fact that we are blessed with so many talented people who blood sweat and 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 work their ass off in the back i mean we have an amazing head brewer called zachary um who was one of the when i first came to melbourne to set up hawkers we went on a brewery tour and um We drove up to Hillsville. I thought you were going to
0: say Heineken for a minute there, just to sort of... (laughs) of... Fucking Heineken.
2: (laughs) Just a heads up, Heineken just sold their brewery back to the family they bought it from in Beirut because of what Mazen did. There are 13 fucking breweries now in Lebanon, and the newspaper called it the Mazen effect, even Mm. eight years after I left Lebanon. Um, they had to sell there's, it. There's like, the T-shirt we with, want. The yeah. mezzan the the effect, effect is the, you know. So, so, so the, the grandson of the founder of the brewery just bought back the brewery for $20 million less than what he sold it to them for.
0: Ah, that's how you make money. Yeah. So,
2: so, so I'm, I'm super happy. And actually, I went to visit the brewery for the first time in my life. Uh, back when I was in Beirut two weeks ago, and I went to sit with the CEO and the marketing director, and we talked about the possibility of bringing some hawkers back to Lebanon with the brewery I set out to destroy. <laughs> <laughs> was
0: there anything in there that you didn't expect to see? Yeah, like once the once yeah. you re- it's just a fucking old
2: brewery. <laughs> so, so
0: no nuclear weapons or anything like that. No. After all of that sort of skull diving, they buried there
2: was... the reactor down the, <laughs> the basement. They wouldn't let me into the basement, but. Um, Jesus, there's a chain of thought that, that, that
0: got lost. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on to the Berlinovice. Let's oh. not even pretend <laughs> to try and go back to That's where we excellent. were. Uh, because I've got this one in front of me now, the lime Berlinovice. Oh,
2: yeah.
0: Um, um, why lime, I guess, is sort of my initial question. Yeah. We, we have quite a few Berlinovices on the show, but I was trying to think of another one, and the audience can shout out if they can think of other lime Berlinovices that they've had. It's not a combination we see a whole heap of. Yeah, lots of raspberry. I'll mention lime.
2: The, the thing with, um, if anyone's been to Germany, they tend to use a lot of syrups in their mm. Berliner Weisses. Um, the guys actually used proper limes in this one and lime peels. Mm. We, we have this obsession, which now my chain of thought went back to the last statement. Um, we have this obsession with the team that they, they only want to use the best available ingredients hence why we are out of the usual plum sour which was part of our core range mm. because we use plum puree and we we're out of plum puree and we can't make it till January when the next harvest season happens we tried we thought about trying plum juice and the guys were like no we make it with plum puree we're not going to make it with plum juice and we're like we have taps and we have things and we have people and they're like no we have an order into the export market. We just sold this beer to Thailand and Singapore. No? Nah, we're not going to change the recipe. And so this is this is the talented team that I was talking about. I mentioned Zach, and also we have Alex Lovelock, who is, you know, he is a reference point in all things technical ingredients. The guy is just the most inspiring. Me and Alex have regular... Conversations, Very deep, honest conversations because Alex doesn't take shit from anyone, <laughs> which is great mm-hmm. uh, because he's one of the checks and balances whenever we do anything. Uh, but they work great as a team and they, they brew all these fantastic beers and they cut no corners. And they're super anal about what they make. And so why limes? Um, because we had a syrup Berliner Weiss with lime and we thought we could do better with real
0: lime. Mm. Mm a really good answer. It's a, it's a beautiful beer to be drinking, particularly and as we're starting to think of summer. Yeah. So is this a, sort of a seasonal one? This is not its first visit into the... That,
2: that's another thing, by the way. Um, it's, it's funny because we've noticed something with sours. They don't sell very much unless they're puckering sour. And you get to puckering sour mostly by adding citric acid. And at Hawker's, we're all about drinkability. And we, we actually like to sour our kettle sours, like the old school stuff. So it's a bit inconsistent. It leaves it up to the actual bacteria to handle. Um, we don't brew a base beer, sour it using citric acid, and then add syrups to split it off into 50 shades of whatever sour beer is, is, is in that, right? And I'm not going to name any... Other breweries that do this, but I'm sure you'll find a few on the shelf. I mean, we, we brewed a passion fruit Goza uh, for um, St. Hildegard last year. So every year we do a beer called St. Hildegard that supports women in industry. Mm. And it's not, just, um, it's not just chit-chat. We allow our female brewers or any brewers that identify as female um, to basically take the reins of the brewery and do whatever the fuck they want. And they brewed a passion fruit Goza. My worst fucking nightmare. (laughs) Because one, I don't like salt in my beer. But to be honest, it was one of the best beers I've ever had last Mm. year. Uh, And it was so stupidly expensive because I knew they were only going to use real passion fruit. Our cost of this passion fruit Goza, cost, raw materials, never mind labor, never mind markup, never mind anything else, was more expensive... Then the retail price of some of the passion fruit sours that were on the market. Yeah. So that, 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 to go back to the limes, why limes? Because why not?
0: Mm-hmm. Um, are there audience questions about either of these two beers that we've just had? Otherwise, we'll put a little bow on this bit and everyone can get up and have a little walk around and chat. But if you've got an audience question, now's the time to shout it out. Hey, it's up the back of the class.
1: Will you do more Berliner Weisses in future? Oh, flavored Berliner Weisses in future.
2: Sours are like lagers. People talk about them. It's, it's remarkable. This is the best fucking Pilsner I've ever had in my life. One and a half stars on Untapped. Right? <laughs> if it's That's not outrageous,
0: f- can I just say? If like, it, genuinely, it, that is outrageous.
2: If it's not 8% juice, it gets rated down. <laughs> I, and, if only we
0: knew someone had untapped that we could throw cans at right now.
2: And, and, and the problem is uh, they, don't, they don't sell. They, they, they're treated like limited releases. Uh, they, people don't – if they want a fridge filler that's a uh, sour, they're not going to get a real sour, mm. right? So real sours are expensive to make. They are expensive to make. Uh, I'm not even talking about wild fermented sours. So we will make more sours for sure, because we love the stuff. Um, but uh, they will never become a major thing at Hawkers. I mean, we we already do West Coast IPAs, which are also now becoming cool again. It's like Reservoir. <laughs> it's fucking, who ever new clear beer could be cool again? Um, we also make a lot of barrel aged stats which
0: we'll get to that we'll get to that discussion
2: bloody censorship is what i call it that's the.
0: I, I, I clicked record at just the perfect point there. So.
2: Fake news, fake news, they're censoring me.
0: All I have to do is cut out all the swear words and we'll save, you know, there's a good 45 minutes that will come out of the podcast there. Here we are, we're back with episode 164. We're out at Hawkers. We have two more great Hawkers beers in front of us. We're going to be talking LaFruit and we're going to be talking mood lighting. We're here underneath the 40,000 litre tank that's being used as a 32,000 litre tank. Uh, all Awesome. The weather is holding off for us. We're having a great night out here. Mr. Warren Wu, you have LaFruit in front of you. I don't yet, so I'll get you to pass the can to me. I'm going to pour myself a little while you start to talk about it.
1: Um, so, Matt, LaFruit, uh, I get the strange impression this is another one of those beers that doesn't necessarily sell a ton of, but you put a lot of love and care into making it.
2: Yeah, saisons don't sell at all. <laughs> like, if, if you thought lagers were bad and, and sours were bad... I mean, sours are starting to pick up, but saisons, yeah, everyone talks about how great saisons are. Nobody ever buys a saison. saison. It's amazing. And if they do buy a saison, they go straight to the famous ones, you know. Which are the famous ones then, just for people who are playing at home? Dupont, Trois Fontaines, whatever. I mean, whatever comes out of Belgium, and and there's a whole school of saisons, right? Unfortunately, we, we do have wild fermenta- fermentation breweries in, in Australia that are doing great. We use a controlled yeast strain mm-hmm. because we don't pasteurize any of our beers. And if we had a yeast strain that got into the system, it'll be very difficult to get it out of the system when it's, it's uh, too hard. But we use a yeast strain that's used um, more in, in uh, Normandy, mm-hmm. right up close to the borders. Uh, by a lot of French far- uh, farmhouse uh, breweries, um, and we use real raspberry from a local farmer as well. Uh, the, the aim of Hocker saison isn't really to explore wild fermentations as much as it is to create a really balanced, drinkable beer. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, we get cut down because it's people like being kicked in the in the teeth. I don't know why. But if it doesn't kick people in the teeth, it doesn't leave an impression. I like to buy a beer that I'm going to have two or three or four of, sure. Um, and that's kind of the philosophy that drives hawkers.
1: Um, so we've, when it comes to a beer like this, where do you see it sitting in the whole in in, in hawkers? you've got a lot of beers, kind of, they're in the market at the moment, but where does this sit? Like, into it, it is a balanced beer, but in terms of i suppose the whole the uh, the range
2: yeah well i mean this is this sits in our limited releases right so this is a one-time shot it'll it'll go out into the market and it won't come back maybe it'll come back but it's it's not it doesn't sit in the regular beers the funny thing about this beer is because we use real raspberry the color is very subdued because it does Mm. clear out um and we don't use food coloring or any of the weird syrups that uh, that add that pungent color of raspberry Mm -hmm. that that Pink, purpley color. This is real raspberry, and uh, we we get marked down because the color doesn't reflect raspberry. As if real raspberry was supposed to like look stain like your dragon fruit, so yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's it, look. We love Saison's. We don't get to do enough of them. Um, every now and then we'll put one out just because we love them. I, when I, when I came to Australia, the the first beer that convinced me to hire. A brewer. I was originally planning to brew myself. Um, we were out in Bright, and uh, we went to Bright Brewery back then in 2014, which was tiny. I mean, kudos to Scott. He's done a fantastic job in terms of growing it and, and, and putting it on the map. Mm. They had a little brewer who had no infamy at all called John Selton, who was just fucking... He came on the back of a really not great brewer, I want to say, but he was just nailing styles, making really great beers. Nothing outlandish, no crazy stuff. He was making saisons and barrel-aged beers, and we got talking. We got completely hammered, and then, uh, and then he brought out a stupid barley wine at the end. Like, I think it was a stupid <laughs> barley wine. Um, or a quad or something in, in fucking
0: barrels. They used a, to have quads up there for, for sure. Yeah. I, mean. uh,
2: I think it was a quad. Well, something stupid in the end, uh, which basically knocked me out. I woke up in the morning and there was an email from this guy saying, if you want a brewer in Lebanon, I'd love to go and brew. And John, turns out, had actually traveled from, I think he started off in Vietnam mm-hmm. and went by car not his car, but like <laughs> through buses and trains and whatever, right through Afghanistan, Pakistan, through the Taliban area to mm-hmm. paraglide.
0: He did the hippie trail only yeah, he sort he of 40 years, yeah. 40 years
2: too late. Yeah, and he ended up in Syria but never made it to Lebanon. And I, I got this job application. I was like, you know what, we're starting a brewery in Melbourne if you want to come over and work <laughs> for us. And um, so the the beer that I I had when I first walked into Bright. And it was an eye opener for me because I had been having really bad experiences with Australian craft beer back in 2014 till till that point was uh, Bright Beer's uh, Bright Brewery's um, saison. Mm. Wow! And and so we brewed a saison that was our fourth beer in our core range, mm-hmm. and uh, we stopped brewing it because we found out that restaurants really wanted to have a saison on their menu, and no one made a good saison. So we. As we were always on the menu having a saison, but we wanted to have the pale or the we wanted to sell beer, not just fucking beer on the menu. <laughs>
1: um, I carrying on from your conversation about the first craft beer that really the in Australia that really got kind of lit that flame. Um, previous to that though, what what really started you down the craft beer path? Or was there a particular beer that you remember that you really drove that? passion and drove you forward in terms of starting your own brewery or just a hatred just... of <laughs>
2: uh, i unfortunately do not have a craft beer story like that i mm-hmm. grew up in britain a lot of my childhood was spent in britain school days uh, i went to school in wales where back then we had we had a social center on campus it was a boiling school and we had a social center where we had a bar and uh, this, this 14-year-old kid coming from Lebanon wreaked havoc on the bar. I don't know why, because my, I was unattended by my parents, and I thought I could fucking drink as much as I want, and no one's going to notice in Wales except the sheep. Uh, and so w- we had Guinness, we had a mild, and we had a bitter, and we had a lager. Back then I used to drink a lot of
0: Foster's, that like was, everyone outside of Australia does. Because yeah. that was
2: the cheapest beer you could get. And mm-hmm. if I went on a date, I drank Molson. Oh. Because that was exotic. And if I couldn't get Molson, I drank Lebats,
0: Because
2: that was even more exotic. Two fucking Canadian bullshit beers. Um, but that was my experience. And when I came back to Lebanon, um, I was drinking Guinness, thinking uh, one day I'm going to set up a vineyard. And then Heineken bought Almaza. And uh, they brought Murphy's red and Murphy's stout and priced it so low so as to kill Guinness in Lebanon. Finally, the distributor of Guinness said, fuck it, it's not worth it. It's such a small market and now they're driving me out of it. Quit. And the minute Guinness quit, two months later, Heineken announces that they're not bringing Murphy's anymore and they were going to brew Almazah pure malt which was basically a pilsner 6% with food coloring to make it look slightly darker but not black because they didn't want to intimidate the average drinker. And uh, that was the time when I decided I'm going to make my own fucking beer. I called uh, an equipment manufacturer in Canada and I said, I'd like to make beer. And they said, great. What do you want to do? Oh, just beer? Yeah, what kind of beer? Uh, stuff you drink? How much do you want to make? I don't know.
0: <laughs> beer.
2: <laughs> and it took, uh, it took a long time to, to, to get that equipment.
0: It's pretty amazing, though, to come from, like so. most people have far more of a leading story. They've done a bit of home brewing. You'd done none of that before you sort of ventured into the wide world of beer.
2: It, it, the whole idea of 961 Beer, which was the name of the brewery we started in Lebanon, happened um, two years before the July 2006 war uh, with Israel. Actually, three mm-hmm. years before that, I was sitting in a bar in Lebanon with a guy I had just met in the street, this two-meter-tall, blonde Danish guy uh, who stood out like a sore thumb in Lebanon. I imagine he uh, kind of would. Well, not, it's not the blondness. My mother is blonde, my sister's blonde, like lots of blonde Lebanese. It's the two-meter two thing. Um, he was walking around asking for directions, and we just got along like a house on fire. And seven days later, one night before he left, we were sitting in a bar... And I was working in airlines, and uh, he said, you keep complaining about corporate life. What do you want to fucking do? And I said, I don't know. I'll make a beer. And he, he traveled the next day, and two weeks later, I got a call from him saying, that's a fucking awesome idea. Come on, let's do it. Let's do it. And uh, two years later, I woke up in the desert in Al Khaimah in the Emirates, after I set up the national <laughs> carrier. I opened my window in the morning, and I'm like, I don't need this shit in my life. Why am I... At the end of the earth. And why am I doing this just for money? Fuck it. I'm going to quit. So I called Henrik before I quit. And I said, Henrik, do you really still want to do the beer? He said, sure. I'm like, all right. Quit my job. One month later, we put the money in. We hadn't ordered the equipment yet. And the July 2006 war started with Israel. (laughs) And I thought, ah. That's great. I quit my fucking high-paying job in the Emirates. And I knew we were going to get out of it. Um, But I wasn't sure what was going to happen to the business. And one day I was sitting on my balcony. I called Henrik. And I said, what do you want to do? And he said, this is the best fucking story ever. We'll tell people we started a brewery in the middle of the war. This is awesome. Let's do it. And I'm like, okay. And I was reading... Um, beer school from um, the autobiography of Steve Hindi the guy who started Brooklyn Brewery Um, kind of the one of the grand the godfathers of craft beer in the US and I the Israelis were bombing Hezbollah I was on on my balcony in Shafi'i which was a Christian area so the Israelis wouldn't bomb the Christians, they'd only bomb the Muslim Shia Um, and so they were bombing the Shia to to smitheries uh, I was sitting on my balcony looking at the bombs falling. We had no electricity. It was fucking hot. Uh, I opened the book, and I started reading, thinking I have nothing better to do. And on the first sentence of that book, it said, I woke up to the sounds of bombs exploding outside my hotel, Alexander, in Beirut al <laughs> And I'm like, what? <laughs> it turns out Steve Hindi is third-generation Lebanese immigrant to the U.S. His grandfather, Ali Hindi, immigrated from Lebanon, his dad, Khaled Hindi, was harassed by the Ku Klux Klan for being a Muslim, converted to Christianity, and changed his name to Kal, but couldn't avoid the brownness on him. And they were very conscious to marry blondes to kind of water down the, the genetics. I, I think that's, I mean, you know, they married good Christian yeah. girls. Anyway, it um, turns out he was the Associated Press journalist in Lebanon, he graduated from journalism and was doing his rounds. And he learned about brewing beer in Saudi Arabia wow. from home brewing because Aramco, which is the Saudi Arabian American mm-hmm. oil company, used to give out manuals to their staff on how to brew and distill beer, whiskey, vodka, wine, um, so that it would be more livable back then. And a lot of these guys were brewing beer, and he had come from the background of drinking Budweiser and Miller and Coors mm-hmm. and was having homebrew in Saudi Arabia, wondering what the fuck was that. And when the bombs fell in his hotel, his wife said, right, this is enough. We're going to go back to Brooklyn. Um, which back then was a lot like Reservoir, except it was even more dangerous. Because I remember that, that time because I couldn't get a taxi to Brooklyn in the, in the U.S. <laughs> like, you'd get into a taxi, go Brooklyn, and he'd say, get the fuck out. <laughs> uh, now it's the hipster town, mm-hmm. and, and the meter is more expensive than Manhattan and Williamstown. But back then it was a shithole. It got gentrified. And uh, he got to the U.S. not knowing what to do, quit journalism, and thought, oh, I'm going to make flavorful beer. This seems like a reasonable idea.
0: I love any story of people who convert from any industry other than IT, because I think we sort of joke that we've had 100 people who used to be in IT who've gone on to brew beer. So it's great to hear journalists and air- airlines. Well, <laughs> I used to be an
2: investment banker before I was an airline. I started the first fare airline in the Middle East as well because I hated national carriers. I hate monopolies. I hate fucking monopolies. And it does my head in that this country has a duopoly mm. of everything. <laughs> Qantas, Virgin. Telstra, Optus
0: lion c u b whatever well worth skulls well worth skulls i feel like we could go down this road for a long <laughs> yeah. long time of duopolies. So, and a- then move on to c- yeah. a triple c fucking listen to this podcast and get your shit together <laughs> uh, and then we could move on to oligopolies which just gives me the opportunity to say oligopoly which is, i think we've established before is one of my favorite words in the whole world so my
2: partner is ukrainian so I have, I have a lot of uh, disdain for oligarchs. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, oligopolies are slightly different, but we'll get into no, no, David's English class you got, you got class into the, the, the
2: ollie,
0: oh, yeah. and I'm, which,
2: I'm, my first which, brain reaction was, got angry.
0: We're all about the ollies here. Ollie's trolleys, for those of us that grew up in country Victoria a long, long time ago. Only one laugh. That shows where I come from, doesn't it? Um, we're going to move on. We need to talk about the, the, uh, the other beer that's in front of us at the moment. We need to talk mood lighting. Yes. Yes. Um, Mr. Warren Wu, can you pass that can for me oh, yeah. and again, We're please? Gone. Kick off things while we uh, start that discussion.
1: We seem to be in a parade of beers that wouldn't particularly sell well, but <laughs> yes. would be excellent, <laughs> <laughs> excellent to make. Um, it's our kind of shtick. I it is our kind of shtick. Uh, so, it, similarly to the the Pilsner, is is there a, an idea that you want to create, like a, a, a I suppose a pure version of the original? Do you is, uh, do you want to it was the idea to go. Well, let's create the best Munich Dunkel that we could that we could make in Australia.
2: No, this this wasn't that. So, so I was right. I was I was talking about um, our head brewer Zach, and I, I I said the first time I came to Australia, I went on a brewery tour. I went up to Hillsville, mm-hmm. back when uh, White Rabbit was there, and they and I thought that was impressive because I thought they were fermenting in open fermenters, and I thought my God, they have bowls. because um, to this day. open fermenters still scare the shit out of me, (laughs) Uh, which is why I have so much respect for a brewery like Samuel Smith in the UK that does one of the best fucking Imperial Stats that made me fall in love with the whole battle program Uh that we started and Imperial Stats. Um, But so I met Zach on my first trip to Melbourne ever before we thought of doing Hawkers when I was touring White Rabbit because he was the brewer there and he took me on a guided tour. Ah, yeah. I didn't remember this, but when we were talking about him coming on and becoming our head brewer, he reminded me of the story, and I remembered the details of having this whole conversation and sitting with him and, and talking, talking about technical brewing. Um, with, with Mood Lighting, we, we share a lot of the recipe development. We're trying to... Engage as many people and have as much input. And our, our lead brewer as well is, is is a fantastic guy called Nikolai. Now that I've mentioned his name, um, half the breweries in Melbourne and, and Australia are going to try and poach him. It's okay. Uh,
0: can, will I edit that? Uh, it, I won't beep any of the swearing. I'll just beep his name <laughs> no, keep, just to make it all the more mysterious. Keep
2: it on. It's really funny. Most of the head brewers and other breweries originated at Hawkers. It's 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 quite remarkable. I think, like... Mm. Seven or eight now head brewers around Melbourne are all ex-brewers ex at, at Hawkers. Mm. Um, which, I mean, it's a testament to, 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 to the team over here that we have a training system and we're still able. It's not about the person. It's about the team. Um, so people here feel that they're engaged and they're still winning awards. I mean, this year we won champion trophy large and champion Victorian. Mm-hmm. And so, Nikolai, um, we wanted to do something German. And so we did the dunkel. Uh, It's probably not 100% classical dunkel. Mm -hmm. Uh, But again, you know, this is our version of it. It's it's a bit of fun. We like drinking lagers. There's a misconception in Australia that you drink dark beers when the sky is dark. It's fucking hilarious. Mm. No one wants to have an imperial stout in summer because it's too heavy, bourbon barrel age.
0: It's 13%. This is one of the... Contra- we're 164 episodes in. You can hear from the audience. There's a very mixed, you know...
2: <laughs> 13%. Oh, I can't drink that. Can I have a glass of red wine at 14%, please? It's too fucking high in alcohol. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, terrible. Don't drink Don't drink a dark beer. Because dark has a flavor. Anyway. So we wanted a dark beer <laughs> in Christmas. Just to fuck mm. with people's brains. And make it a lager. Oh, my, my, favorite, my favorite stout story and, and dark beers. We, we released a tropical stout. Now, I don't know if people know what a tropical stout is. A tropical stout is essentially a stout brewed. It's a style of beer. It's not in reference to anything. It's, it's a style of beer that was brewed originally in the Caribbean. And it's basically a stout fermented with lager yeast, which is ironic because people expect all these big aromas and flavors from tropical. It's the exact opposite. It's supposed to be mm. clean. And, oh, my God, the commentary. I don't get any tropical juice out of this. Dude, just fucking look up Tropical Stout. You'll know what it is. Uh,
0: it's, a- <laughs> it's all right. We're just have a little break here while Mark right. gets his dinner. To- <laughs> <laughs> Dugan, is that where you almost need a QR code on the can to say, this is the style guide according to...
2: Mm. <sighs> oh, man. Or we're- not even. We didn't even do it. I, I just stopped. I, I now ignore... The feedback.
0: Mm-hmm. I, it's, I really, that's been my life philosophy. I mean, it's got me where I am today. I honestly feedback.
2: <laughs> I mean, I love everyone, but I don't fucking care. Um, the, it's, it's, it's too hard. I mean, my dad, my dad had, a, had a wonderful saying. He said, uh, if, if you try and please everyone and make everyone happy, you're going to fucking fail, and the only person you'll make unhappy is yourself. So mm-hmm. now I just brew whatever the fuck I want.
1: Yeah, that's a
0: great philosophy. We are absolutely, absolutely up for that. Yeah,
1: so. yeah I've heard it as um, if you try to be every, everything to everyone, you'll end up being nothing to no one.
0: I mean, you you've heard that as well, except I can't understand the grammar of that. I've lost track no, of whether yeah, that makes sense. trust or you or to not. miss yeah. the
1: grammar on that.
0: <laughs> now, normally, because we do this online, people who've just joined us for the first time for episode 164 because Hawkers is a brewery they want to know more about may not know, we normally do these things online, and normally it's pretty clear when people have a question because they can type it into the chat when we do things on Zoom. Jacob, a very good and loyal listener of ours, is up the back waving his hand previously. I don't know if Jacob had an audience question he wanted to intervene with or whether he was just batting away a... It was a time pertinent question. Oh,
1: that's yeah, a good Yeah, you that's a good yeah. So so okay, so all these great brewers have, have found other homes in other breweries around the place. Uh, and so Jacob's question is how many Hawkers IPAs are in other breweries, which is a which is a very cheeky thing to say. <clears throat> yeah, we we have we have had in the podcast. we should go back and listen to the yeah. last
0: 163 episodes. We're not going to name names, but yeah, yeah, it's but, all out there. Yeah,
1: they 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 kind of and I, I'm kind of worried that Jacobs might have might have uh, let the cat out of the Belt bag the because yeah, yeah yeah because quite often they say it when the microphone's off, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> but now, but yeah, there's there's
2: Look, it's it's a it's a funny one, right? Um. When I studied brewing I, and I was starting 961 beer, I was mentored by a guy called Anders Kissmeyer. I don't know if anyone knows who Anders Kismayer is. If I said Sean Hill from Hill Farmstead, everyone would jump up and down and say, oh, fuck yeah, they're the most highest rated brewery eight out of the last 10 years on, on every fucking rating app in the world. Um... Sean Hill studied under Anders Kismar. He was the head brewer for, at and in, in, uh, in one of their brew pubs in Copenhagen for four years where he learned everything he knows about brewing. And he says it. Anders Kismar was the VP for the Brewers Association in Denmark. He was the head brewer for Carlsberg. And when I was starting up and Heineken told me to fuck off and not go to the brewery, <laughs> um, I called Henrik and I said, What do I do? He said, oh, I've got this friend, Anders. I mean, we're not really close, but I'll ask him. And Anders emailed all the recipes. And I found it amazing that someone would share this much knowledge, Mm -hmm. right? And I called him up, and I said, Anders, what are you doing? And he said, we all brew on different kits. We all have our own sensibilities towards brewing. And when I was learning how to brew, I learned that if you brewed the same batch of beer split it into two, fermented one in your attic and one in your basement, you're going to end up with two different beers, right? Mm-hmm. So when, when brewers go away and make the first West Coast to leave a good impression, first, the highest form of flattery is copying. Mm-hmm. Second, the highest form of technical skill is no one's been able to replicate West Coast and West Coast is still the benchmark for West Coast IPAs in Australia. And third... We published a fucking recipe in Brew Your Own magazine in the U.S. <laughs> so uh, we gave it to home brewers who want to make the beer at home. And you know why? Because when I grew up in the beer world, the first thing I did was buy the Brew Your Own clone recipes because I wanted to inspire from other people's recipes. And they were breweries that were being cloned. And I always had a dream that one day we'll have our own recipe in there. And I grew up to, the, to a podcast Back then, a video cast and a podcast called um, uh, Brewing Network uh, with James. Oh fuck, I can't remember. We, call it, the,
0: we call it the Inferior Podcast, but the we're, inferior. we're very. You know. uh,
2: and and um, I got invited to talk about cold extracted coffee put into Imperial Stout back in 2011. I think when no one was cold extracting coffee, never mind putting coffee in beer. It was such an absurd concept. Um, and we made the Lebanese pale ale where we used herbs and spices and people just lost their shit saying it doesn't taste like beer. And now it's cool to be ethnic again. Yeah. And nothing tastes like beer anymore. Yeah, right. It all tastes like juice now. We don't even put anything in. It's just juice and sugar. <laughs> Fucking lactose.
0: <laughs> I can't wait to get onto the barrels. We're not quite there yet.
1: Uh, yeah, go on Shayna. We've got a question from Shana from our audience. Shayna's basically asked like so given your, your thoughts and your understanding about wine and particularly terroir and how important that is to wine, what makes I, I'm gonna I'm gonna paraphrase, what makes beer terroir? Like is it is it equipment, um, in particular, and, and this is a good point that Shane made, particularly given that a lot of what you use, the primary ingredients are commodities and everyone's got access to them. What is Hawker's terroir? What's your idea of terroir?
2: So first, uh, thank you, because I'm, I'm actually quite surprised you asked that question, to be honest. Uh, and the reason why i'm quite surprised and and very annoyed <laughs> <laughs> because because next month this beer that is currently sitting in tank is our beginning of an experimental series that explores terroir purely i am fed up of getting online and this having a pe-
0: 741 this is a 741 <laughs> scoop <laughs> <laughs>
2: it, it actually is a scoop and and the and the beer is called sheer terroir.
0: Uh-huh. <laughs> uh
2: and it's 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 a fantastic it, it's it's a it's a topic that is very dear to my heart and it 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 animates me quite aggressively because I'm fed up of there's there's a level of beer snobbery that is not based in any understanding of what goes into beer. There's a lot of throwaway terms that we throw away on on, on on social media. I mean, dank. I love mosaic. What fucking mosaic are you talking about? It's like when someone says, I love Shiraz. Well, fucking Shiraz. And mm-hmm. it's not a commodity. I'm sorry. You said something that is also completely incorrect. Mm-hmm. when you Oh, hey
0: when He's standing up. This could, this could end up like some of my old wrestling podcasts used to. People think that we all deal with the same ingredients. Mm-hmm. And that is because
2: Australia, up until this year, has had one person who used to go to hop selection this a monopoly? in the U.S. No, this isn't a monopoly. <laughs> this is actually credit to Richard from Bent Spoke. Mm. Richard from Bent Spoke was so obsessed with the hops that Richard kind of basically brought in American hops into Australia. Back up until then, we had Pride of Ringwood and Super Pride and all this crap that they used to produce. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Richard wanted flavor. And and the only way he could get flavor was to go and get hops direct from the U.S. And he teamed up with Bintani back then, and and he would fly out every year, scratch and sniff the hops in the sense of scratch Mm -hmm. and sniff TV, right? And sniff the hops, talk to the farmers, because that is a terroir. That is a product of farm-to-glass. And he would select the hops that he liked, and he would bring them back. And craft beer in Australia has never been big enough – that we could afford to fly over there and sniff our own hops. And so for, for Yonkers, Richard's been the one guy who brought whatever he thought was great into Australia, and we've all used what Richard has selected. Unfortunately, Hop Products Australia, since their acquisition by Bartas and Galaxy Flying, do not allow us to go and select our hops. You know, they still try to convince us that Galaxy hops are a thing, when Galaxy Hops are grown in Tasmania and grown in Victoria, and they want to tell me it's the same terroir. We tested, and one year, the difference in alpha acid was, I can't remember, it was like 4% difference in alpha acid. So totally different ingredients. You know, you you have Mm -hmm. grapes on a certain side of a mountain that get more sunlight than the other side, and the same grape is totally different in both categories. Mm -hmm. So terroir is a combination of the farm, of the land, of the farmer... The tools he uses, the soil, how they're taken care of, but also how they're transported, stored, and how they are used by the mm-hmm. – and which equipment they are brewed on by the, by the brewer, right? So it's, 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 it's a long journey. This is why when we um, gave out our recipe for West Coast and when our ex-brewers – fuck off somewhere and call it Best Coast. I'm not going to name any names there. <laughs> um, it, it, it doesn't faze us, not because we think... we're Because we make a beer, and it's okay if they make another beer and they clone it, and it's great, and whatever. I mean, we made a double West Coast after a few years, uh, which isn't a double style of West Coast. It was the double of our West Coast. And it it's now one of the most popular double West Coast on, in, uh, in, in, in the land. But... Sheer Terwar, our first beer that is currently in tank, we teamed up with Yakima Chief to get, I want to say citra or uh, citra. And we got citra from Oregon, Washington, and Idaho. And so the next time someone says, I love citra, I'm going to smack them on the face.
0: what <laughs> Warren, don't citra? do it, mate. Don't do it. I can see what you're <laughs> <laughs> angling to do. What
2: mosaic. Four. I think Four. it's... Four. <laughs> I think it's much more useful for beer drinkers to express themselves in terms of palate and flavor descriptors.
1: Mm. I like citrus.
2: Yep. I like pine. I like marijuana. Uh-huh. I like spice. <laughs> Aromatics. We're not talking about marijuana. I'm asthmatic, by the way. I once tried
0: to smoke hops. It didn't work out very well. Dank. <laughs> I like dank beers. Yes. <laughs>
1: That was fascinating. Thanks, Shana. That was a great question and a terrific answer, Maz. Yeah, amazing.
0: Well, we're back here with episode 164 of The Cool Room. Make sure you follow us and Hawkers on all of the social medias to find out about the awesome events that both the brewery and we have coming up. Our next online show is going to be with Ocean Reach. I think that's the 15th of January. Uh, Our packs are available on our Shopify. Look that up and uh, make sure you order some more beers from Hawkers as well. Uh, Wandering around and seeing all of the great barrel aged and uh, really big fun beers that they have here uh, has whetted my appetite well and truly and I'm sure that if you jump onto their website, their shop's amazing. The descriptions they have of the beers are fantastic. We'll ask Maz in a minute if he's responsible for those or whether there's a marketing guru behind it all. Uh, But number of reasons to make sure that you're ordering beers from us and them and make sure you start to subscribe for our 2023 subscription packs. We're changing things up a bit. We're making the packs a bit smaller and a bit cheaper to be more accessible. Again, look at our social media for more information about that. Mr Warren Wu, I have only one other thing to say before I throw to you. You took a big breath there. You were about to fire away, and I've I've cut you off because I want to say a big thank you, obviously, to Hawkers, but also to Pete and Naomi. Very long time and loyal, cool rumours, and they've uh, done a a power of work today, not just behind the bar, not just making the glass washer work, uh, but in setting this up and making sure that we've actually gotten out here after many attempts, and we're excited to be here. So... A big shout out to them and uh, thank you for your friendship and assistance along the years
1: all right so oh I'm really excited to talk about the next beer that we've got on the on the table uh, West Coast IPA Hawkers West Coast. we've touched on it a little bit um, definitely one of your signature beers but but I, I'm I don't think I'm wrong in saying it, what a lot of people put as their Benchmark. A lot of, particularly Melbourne craft beer lovers, would 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 mark as their benchmark West Coast IPA. Um, can you give us a bit of history regarding it? What what where where did this come from? you've you've, you've kind of bought us you've you've given us a glimpse of that. But but yeah, has it has it evolved? What's been what's what's the West Coast IPA story for hawkers? So
2: IPAs. <laughs> For me, first first I want to start off with the, idea, the 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 problem that I have with the terminology West Coast versus East Coast, yeah. Mm-hmm. Because I think a lot of beer drinkers today refer to beers as East Coast incorrectly. Mm-hmm. Um hazy's are originating from the East Coast, yes. But originally IPA when it came to the US came in its old English form and the original beer that was brewed was Liberty Ale from um, Anchor Steam and then got taken to the East Coast where it's still being brewed. I mean, you know, um, Brooklyn Beer's um, East East Coast IPA is still one of those classical English-style IPAs. Mm -hmm. And so there was this... IPA kind of evolved into this big, malty, caramelly, lots of crystal malt, heavy on the bitterness, less on the aromatics beer. As it traveled to the West Coast where it was sunnier people wanted to strip out the caramel and accentuate more of the aromatics rather than just the bitterness. Um, and and it stri- they stripped the caramel malt out of the beer and um, lightened up the malt profile.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I traveled a lot to the West Coast, and th- that's kind of the beers that I really like. And um, I think back when we, we, we wanted to do this, there wasn't en- many West Coasts, and they were... Being labeled as West Coast IPAs, where there was still a lot of caramel malt in the backbone, and I I was growing out of caramel. I don't really like caramel. Even our base IPA, which I, honestly, is, is my go-to session beer every mm-hmm. day of the week. Um, West Coast, for me, is probably less drunk at home than our regular IPA, which, again, has won, I think this year, it got two golds, maybe, or... Last year, got two golds. It keeps winning gold medals, but it's an unsung hero uh, and more sessionable. So the, the inspiration for this was taking out the, the the caramel malt, which then translated into our regular IPA. Mm-hmm. We took out the caramel malt and replaced it with biscuit malt from Oregon, um, steamed malt. Um, so that's the story of where this came from. Mm-hmm. Obviously, past the West Coast, it went back to the East with people like the Alchemist and Hedy Topper, and then Treehouse. Um, and then it became a hipster thing where it became very cool and popular to do hazies. And this is mm. what's today termed as East Coast. But I think it's not an accurate description because NEPAs are very different to hazy IPAs are very different to East Coast IPAs. Joe, sure.
0: Yep. Can we go full beer nerd here and talk about the hops that are in the beer? ha <laughs> You know, we, we love a good hop discussion. Which hops are we tasting at the moment? This what is, do each of them bring to the party? This is,
2: this is one of my favorite beers because, um, you know, everybody likes Citra Mosaic uh, and, and your regular American mm-hmm. um, combinations. We use Southern Cross for this beer, which is our local farm comparatively. It's a New Zealand hop that even New Zealand brewers barely use anymore. And it has amazing characteristics. I think that's the star. It, it's got some mosaic. It's got, um, Jesus, I've got to remember now. <laughs> it has citra. Uh, but, and I want to say Northern Brewer. Um, but Southern Cross is the star. And when, when we tell people Southern Cross, people go, what? Mm, that's what I'm them. doing. Okay. Mm.
0: So uh, New uh, Z- Grown in New Zealand? Yes.
2: Native to New Zealand, uh, it's, it's a beautiful hop. It has a lot of diversity, um, and it's, it's coming back. It's, it's becoming one of the cool
0: hops again. We'll see. And has the recipe changed at all along mm. you know, the long journey of Every
2: beer? recipe at Hawkers changes. It doesn't change where the beer, what we want the beer to taste. Mm-hmm. It changes because of terroir. To go back to the idea of terroir, The difference between wine and beer is in wine, we harvest once a year. We pick the grapes, we squash them, stick them in a fermenter, that's it. You don't worry about variances. And people understand that there is a variance year to year. Uh In beer, we harvest our malt once a year. We harvest our hops once a year from different tiroirs, and then we store them, and then we ship them. And by the very nature of storing anything it changes character. Whether it deteriorates or improves or just changes, it changes. So hops at the end of the year or from a previous harvest are very different from the hops that you've just picked. Not better, not worse, just different. And so every batch that we brew, we're expected to make the same beer consistently. And so our, our guys are fucking geniuses mm-hmm. because they manage to hit this consistency quite regularly. And not only are they managing to hit this consistency, and this is hats off to how technical the guys are in the, in the brew house. Mm-hmm. I, genuinely, I don't know how they do it, it's, it. I can't be more grateful to have such a great bunch of people surround me and, and help make Hawkers what it is today. Because we got a compliment while I was at Seabrew in Thailand. I was presenting, and our distributor in Singapore came up and he said, your hazy IPA, even the core range, month and month later... Is still drinking fantastic, and normally hazy IPAs fall out and, and taste mm. like crap after a while. And that's the technical skill by which and the passion goes into handling the beer, checking it at every point, making sure everything tastes right. So the, the recipe does change in the sense that it is tweaked to, to maintain the same flavor profile and, the, and within the tolerances. And if we have a bad batch, we throw it away.
0: And Southern Cross has been there from the start? From day one. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, <clears throat> touching on the idea of of change uh, and how that beer would have changed, as 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 Kyle Hawke is uh, quite famous for all the style, different styles of IPA uh, IPAs they produce. Um, do you guys see a trend uh, moving forward in that space? Do you see where IPAs are, are, are moving towards or away from?
2: Hashtag make beer clear again. (laughs) Um, I think think for a while we were all obsessed with hazies. And and listen, I I was very skeptical in the beginning. And I'm famous for saying stupid things like I will never put beer in a can. And I will never (laughs) brew a hazy. And I brew multiple hazies. And, And the thing is, I will not brew anything that I am not convinced about. And for me, if we're brewing something that showcases hops, and we don't have an understanding of terroir and understanding of the farmer and the difference in hops, and we're all buying the same hops from the same place, we're missing the point. The point isn't to make something that is hazy or to make something that tastes like juice. If you want something (laughs) that tastes like juice, buy a fucking juice. (laughs) Um, For me, it's an expression of the terroir. Right? And it's an expression of the hop characteristics specifically. And if I go back to the conversation that we had about Sean Hill, I had Hill Farmstead's Pale Ale um, three years ago, four years ago, um, at Hill Farmstead. And it, it put tears into, into my eyes. A, a simple fucking Pale Ale. And when I was talking to Sean Hill, Sean goes to the hops and buy, selects the plot not the farm. So you select which plot because the land is so vast. It's different plot to plot. And he selects the window of harvest. And then he'll select multiple windows from the same plot, brew the same base beer with the different hops, and then blend back into the final product to achieve his final... It's taking taking it to the next level, right? And it's quite remarkable how we seem to have gotten into something that is supposed to be an expression of this profound expression of hops, mm-hmm. but none of us really understand what the fuck we're doing. We're just brewing because we're copycatting what is in the US. Yeah. When I was at Treehouse and I was talking to Nate, the the father of hazies, his big statement to me was, I wish I could get a centrifuge and clear the shit up. <laughs> <laughs> It'll make it more stable. But it's become so synonymous with what the beer they make is. People drink with their eyes before they drink with their mouth mm-hmm. and their nose. And it's, 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 it's you know, it, it West Coast IPAs are a love and passion of ours. And even though they were not cool and now they're becoming cool again, I can't wait till they're not cool again and I'll still be drinking them and I'll still be making them.
0: <laughs> now, now, I've been naughty here in my usual style because even though it's not on our tasting list... I've gone and bought a can of the Hazy Pale. Uh, It's beautiful. It's delicious. Explain to us, A, why you've made a Hazy Pale, given all you've spoken about in terms of hazies, but also, (laughs) obviously, you must love this beer because you've been making... So why is this beer special? Give us us the spiel on why, if you're going to have a hazy, this is the hazy to have.
2: Well, I mean, if you're going to have a hazy, again, for me... The the, the journey through IPAs and the journey through hazies and West Coasts and whatever um, is a journey of experimentation. And that journey isn't necessarily an experimentation to see the different expressions of hops, of the same hops in different beers. But a journey to understand what I like and what I don't like in beer. And once I've found a West Coast or a hazy that I like, I'd like to go back and buy the damn beer again. Mm. I mean, this, this ticking the box. There's an old uh, documentary done about beer drinkers called The Beer Tickers, I think. It's a 1990s movie, if anyone ever gets a chance, way before Untapped was even a thing. This is about a bunch of old British guys who used to, have a, who used to walk around with a little ticking sheet and they would go around festivals and tick the beers they've tasted. That's great, but at some point, you know what you like. Hmm. You've had 700 IPAs, and there's maybe 10 that are your favorite. There's nothing wrong with supporting your favorite beers. There's nothing wrong because the fact that we make this beer regularly... Why is West Coast one of our best beers? Because we make this beer so regularly, every time we tweak it, we make sure it's heading in the right direction. We perfect every little element of it. If we made it once and fucked off and did something else, how are we ever going to improve our technique in making beers? hmm yeah, it's great to make a new beer every week. Anyone can do it. The difficulty is to perfect those beers. And and the, the process of perfection, if anyone is scientific, is changing one variable at a time, going back, changing it a bit more, changing it a bit less. Ah, oh, this works better. Hang on, what if I change this? And that might be different. And it's a, it's a long process to perfect a beer. It's not... you hop a beer out, most of the beers that we do are 95% where we want them to be, and the beers that we do again and again and again are the beers that we're able to get to 100%. So why, why the hazy pale? I, I, I fell in love with hazies on my last trip to the CBC, not the last one, the one before in the US. And I went to see Nate, and, and I saw Sean, and, and, and even this trip, I was with Sam from other half, and the, 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 the way they talk about hops... The analysis of hops gave me a greater appreciation to the, to the methodology and the expression of hops. Um, different to what my perception of where Hazes were heading, especially during COVID, because we didn't get to interact with other brewers mm-hmm. as much. We, our, our interpretation of what the local market was doing was basically just make it taste like juice, mm-hmm. put lactose in it, and uh, off you go. And, yes, there is a space for that, but that's why we make a core range hazy pale and we make a core range hazy IPA because every now and then I want a nice, clean expression. And it's not about the, the dick-slinging competition of how many grams per liter can we put in because not, it's not always more is, is, is better. Sometimes less is better. You know, you get hop burn. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you manage hop burn uh, and hop creep after that? Mm. Um, You know, fresh is best. Well, have you ever tasted the hazy that's been canned yesterday? Tastes horrible. Most of the time, because of the CO2 shock in the can. I mean, some of the beers, actually, if you age them a bit longer, will settle and taste the way they're supposed to taste. Mm -hmm. And I I found this out when when people weren't aware of it. We released Party Starter, which was a triple hazy IPA, 10.5%, in a Canvent calendar. And it was brewed... A month and a half before it was released to the public. So it wasn't fresh, but it had, we had actually tried the beer as it was progressing to make sure that it, we, were, we were sweating it. And we were tasting this beer out of retention stock, and it was just getting better and better and better. And it was at its prime when it came out in the can, Canvan calendar, and it, it got a lot of followers.
0: We're, we're going to let's talk about beers that age well. Uh-huh. This brings us to the to to where we've been going all along. We're going to put the imperial stout from twenty twenty two into our glasses. Let's talk through this beer. And, and literally, my number one question personally is: Well, we'll get to that in a second. Let's let's talk through the beer. I love this, this you... fucking beer. <laughs> that's the that's what we, your enthusiasm for all the beers is fantastic. Put your nose in there. Can you give us, for people who are tasting this beer at home, mm. uh, hopefully they've gone onto your website, hopefully they've got a four-pack delivered so they can drink it over a period of time. What should they be smelling? What should they be tasting? Well, when they first of all,
2: mouth? it should warm up a bit more, probably. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, well I, I blame
0: up? Melbourne's summer. That it's Melbourne's warmer. summer, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: But, um, for, for, for me, I go back to Samuel Smith's imperial start, right? Mm. That's, that's, that's the benchmark. And I know Americans now tend to brew their own American imperial stouts. Mm-hmm. The, imperial stouts for me are two schools of thought. There's a, there's a current trend in making big, oily, slicky imperial stouts, which have their place. I'm not sure that I want that much residual sugar in my beer mm. just because I'm having a beer not a meal. And secondly, because I prefer to be able to really enjoy drinking a full beer and maybe two. Um, and so I have, a, I have a lot of respect for the British style of imperial stats. Ours is really sitting somewhere, I want to say, between both. It inspires from both. Um, it's, it's definitely not hop-heavy, which is why, how I like my stats, because I don't want uh, to lose the notes of... Um, Nut, roast, uh, coffee, chocolate, licorice a bit, um, some caramel in there as well. Mm. It's 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 rich. I just don't need it to be a meal, right? Yep. And, and our humble imperial start always gets second fiddle to our barrel aged program. Oh, um, we're getting
0: towards the barrels, aren't we? Yeah. Uh,
2: and but I think that this one. Every time we send it off to a competition, comes back with a medal. We're <laughs> <is> fucking great.
0: <laughs> I'm going to leave Mr. Wu to ask our traditional cool room question in a moment. Then we're going to turn it over to audience questions. My last question off my own bat tonight uh, is that question of, if you only had one can of this beer, would you drink it today? Would you save it for two years or years? I would fucking years? drink it right now.
2: <laughs> you know why? Because when we package a beer... It's intended to be drunk. We've Mm -hmm. tasted it. We think it's ready. This is an expression of how we want it to be drunk. When you take a beer and you think it's going to taste better in two years, you're playing roulette. I have no idea how it's going to age, under what conditions, and how that specific batch of beer is going to translate. Anyone who is into wines will know the best sommeliers on earth And the best wine cellars on earth buy a lot of the same beer. So they they identify, okay, I like Chateau, whichever. And I like their their whatever vintage. And they'll buy a lot of the same wine year after year. And they will taste the cellaring as the the aging progresses, Mm -hmm. right? And as it nears the peak, or where they think the peak is, where it's tasting perfectly to them, Because, again, taste is very subjective, yeah? When you think a beer is starting or a wine is starting to taste near its peak, then you accelerate your tasting. Because once a beer is peaked or a wine is peaked, it can go off. And that doesn't mean that all that vintage goes off. It means the wine in your cellar has gone off or the beer in your cellar has gone off. Other people who have cellared it differently may have a completely different experience. (laughs) And so it's pointless to buy a can or two and then drink a beer and then taste it in five years because you've missed the whole journey. There's no point. And it's a fluke. What comes out on the other end is a fluke. What you should be doing is tasting, let's say, as an example, I love Imperial Stats by Hawkers.
0: Mm
2: -hmm. I'll buy every year a case, and I'll leave it in my cellar, and I will taste it every six months or every year and Mm -hmm. see how it progresses. We've got some 2016 Imperial Stats there that are tasting fucking fantastic.
1: Wow.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: so, uh, just to repeat, l- so often with wines, they will be, as they mature, as they're, as they're being cellared, there'll be peaks and troughs, uh, and they'll go up and down. So what might look like it's gone in one year uh, will white brighten up in the next year, or we'll develop different characters, and Riesling's a really great example that Shane has mentioned, do you think that that has the potential for in beer? have you seen that in your experience where you know you might have that that 2016 might be looking fantastic now might fall into a hole next year and then potentially come back have you seen examples of that so again for me
2: barrel aging is is a, a relatively um new journey um from a brewer's perspective um and because from a drinking perspective, I've only had access to specific amounts of beer. I've not had the ability to long-term seller some of the beers. So I don't know. And that's a, that's a really excellent mm. question, to be honest. Um, that was, you know, in, in, in let me take it a different way. Um, I, I don't want to say... Peaks and troughs. And I don't want to say better or worse because, again, that's very subjective. Ninety-five percent of people drink light lagers and they think whatever we're talking about here is utter bullshit. <laughs> um, you know, uh, we, we just released a beer um, called the Bermuda Triangle. Uh, or I can't remember what it was called. It's, it's in a canvent and it's it's a rum barrel-aged uh, imperial stout with lime and all sorts of spices. And it, it was... Half a star, this is fucking terrible, they should throw this shit, I'm going to burn hawkers down. Or five stars, these guys can do no wrong. Um, so, you're it, ch- so you're still checking out the ratings is what you're telling people. You, <laughs> I, check out, I do check out the ratings specifically because if I can identify a feedback quality issue. Fair, right? fair call. Fair because call. most ah. consumers do not call the brewery and say, hey, I got a bad can. They'll go online and, and trash the shit out of you. And, yeah. and you want to be there ready to respond. And because I care. And yeah. I don't just care about the beer. And it's, it's not a brand journey for me. It's an experience that I am presenting to the beer drinker. Mm-hmm. And if I fail in that presentation of the experience, it's a responsibility that I take very seriously. And we don't fail a lot. Um, but every now and then something happens. You know, Something's been stored incorrectly or... Um, something's been dinged up or someone bought something that's been sitting on the shelf way too long or whatever it is. Uh, And and usually we're very good at trying to correct that because our aim and premise is that it doesn't matter what Hawker's beer you pick up, you're going to know it's a quality beer. Mm -hmm. It might not be your favorite style. It might not be to your taste buds, but it's going to be done with passion. It's not going to be a gimmick, and it's going to be done super well and Delivered in its best condition. That's, that's, that's what we aspire
1: to. Mm-hmm. Um, with that amazing and profound answer, I'm going to ask you a goofy question. And we
0: love this goofy question, but it's a little bit goofy. Um, what's... This, is, this is also in the context of me not getting the glass washer to work oh, yeah. in between the little <laughs> sessions here. <laughs> so it doesn't matter how many degrees you have...
1: Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yes, um, and it also matches this question too. What's the okay? So, of all your experiences. What's the weirdest, most confronting, amusing, strange thing you've seen in a cool room? And I, oh, and cool rooms quite broad. So, so brewery, pub, uh, bar, actual cool room. You couldn't get to work. Yeah, at a critical time. that's it. Yeah, it's it's about the experience. Oh, so, so not not out about the beer. Because that are <laughs> stories
2: about beers as well. Well, well all that's, of the, that's all fine. So We're just drawing
1: to... the court curtain away from our wonderful industry.
2: The most confronting thing I've seen in
0: a cool room. We, we, this, this I, is coming from I, a man I, who started I, I, started a brewery in the middle of a war. Yeah, yeah, This could yeah. get a bit, you know.
2: <laughs> I, I, I mean, I've seen some. Dodgy, half-assed equipment, um, and I, I've I've seen a lot of. Um, look, we're in a very unique industry, and uh, judging what you see uh, again is 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 very subjective and can be very patronizing. I like to think of the final product. Mm-hmm. I like to judge the beer. How it got there doesn't really matter. I like to think of the flavor of the beer itself. And I've had some confronting beers in my life. <laughs> I mean, you, you talk about a sink pour. I wouldn't even pour some of the beers down a sink. We've, we, we've had a couple of screw-ups every now and then. Uh, and, and some of them have gone on to score super high ratings. I'm not exactly sure why. I mean, we, we brewed a Jaffa orange imperial stout. And uh, we blended back the juice and the lime peel. Uh, The orange peel, sorry. And then the brewer who finally blended the the big batch fucked up the proportions. And I thought, oh my God, this is the most horrific thing I've ever made. We've ever made. People fucking loved it. (laughs) It was on fire. People still send us emails saying this is the best beer they've ever had. And we're like, okay, sure. It's all subjective. Never going to happen again. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But so I I haven't seen anything horrific in a cool room because I don't judge people on what... I don't judge what's in a cool room. Everyone has a different way of doing it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I come from the land where 15,000 BC people were making beer in clay pottery and leaving it outside uh, for the natural elements. Mm -hmm. If anyone's ever been to the Lambic breweries... Some of that shit is just fucking, oh, my God, I'm going to drink that shit? <laughs> it's, it's horrific. So is, that, this,
0: is this our, I'm going to make sure I edit the time a little bit. Is this our 852 scoop, which I think fits in your licensing? Ah, uh, is this what you're going to be doing next? So you is? want to ask the question? One of the, one of the hard, hard lessons we
2: learned at, at Hawkers was that I guess it's very common with coffee drinkers. You ask a coffee drinker how they like their coffee, and they'll say black and bitter. Most coffee drinkers drink it with milk and sugar. And it's, it's fucking your perception of who you are and, and what translates, right? Uh, a lot of the imperial stout, well, a lot of the barrel drinkers say they want to try new things. They all go back to imperial stout and bourbon barrel aged imperial stout. And here's one of our fine reservoirs.
0: I'm surprised it took as long as it did, to be honest. Yes. So, so, so we're gentrified, but we're not
2: neutered yet. Anyway, um, after that display of incredible masculinity. masculinity and, uh, he's got balls. He's got balls. Um, so t- t- we brewed a wheat wine. We used aquavit barrels. Uh, we brewed a Baltic porter, which we got slammed on again because it was too light. It's fermented with a lager yeast. Uh, it's, we, we, uh, bre- what else? We brewed an old ale. Uh, I'm trying to go back from memory. We brewed a whole bunch of stuff, and we brewed barley ones, and we brewed flavored barley ones. And we're going to brew more crazy shit for next year, and I don't care if people drink it or not. We brewed a coffee in cardamom Imperial Stout, which to this day still is one of my favorite beers that we ever made. Um, and, and, it's, and, and people still buy it. And, and all of a sudden, they've realized how great that balance of spiciness from the cardamom and the coffee is. Mm. Um, to cut a long story short, we have introduced White Stouts as well into Barrel Age a couple of years ago, and that took off. Um, this year, we're going to be introducing another beer into... Oh,
0: Scoop. 8.52 scoop. I'm not going to say what it is. That's the best kind of scoop. Not really. But but, but, but uh, there'll be a
2: big beer, uh, probably not seen by many, uh, sitting currently in barrels, and there'll be some more varieties of barley wine. We're done just doing bourbon barley wine and base barley wine. This year there'll be a base barley wine, but barley wine is going to get a similar treatment to the imperial stouts, just because I fucking love barley wine. Yeah.
0: <laughs> There's a lot of hands being raised about that. So. <laughs> this is the point where I think we just check if anyone else in the audience has a question they want to ask. It's, uh, carry a hand. Either come down and grab the mic or yell loudly, uh, which is about you've spoken tonight about American-style stouts, you've spoken about English-style stouts. Uh, and the question really is that as you know, as a brewer in Australia and being part of Australian beer culture, I guess the question is, you know, should we be finding our own interpretation of those styles rather than referencing, you know, always other yeah, styles you, from overseas?
2: You know, that that's that's what we do at Hawkers all the time. Like I said, our dunkel isn't a traditional German dunkel. Our Marzen isn't a traditional German Marzen. We we brew the beers that we want to drink, right? And if in the process we're we're I think we're charting our own path. I don't think we need to reaffirm our identity as Australians in the sense of then boxing Australian breweries into a specific style. I think in the modern world, each brewer needs to express themselves in whatever way they want. Where I find it a bit disheartening is our, our imperial stouts for the second World Beer Cup in a row... One of them has gotten to the last ten table. We win golds at the AIBAs where all the big guys come and play. We've we've beat most of the breweries in the world, or at least compete on an equal footing, head to head with the with these guys. Yet there's a there's a there's an inferiority complex that goes on within Australian beer drinkers sometimes. You see it on a lot of the fucking beer threads. Oh, Australian Imperial Stouts aren't as great as the American Imperial. Yes, they are. And they need to stop being... Comp- you know, we need to stop following the brand and following the blind tasting. If you prefer a certain style of stout more than what you're drinking that's coming out of Australia, it is because you have a specific taste profile. I'm not brewing to your taste profile. I'm brewing to my fucking taste profile. And... Beer judges who are certified to judge beer have deemed my interpretation of the style to be worthy of a gold and to be worthy to sit at the last 10 at the World Beer Cup. So sorry I don't fucking brew to your caliber and your, your, your own taste buds. I don't care. I want Australian beer drinkers to wipe that crap out of their head and just enjoy the journey Find the brewers that they like, and stop comparing us to other people. Each individual brewer is their own. They're expressing themselves on their own. You like it, great. You don't like it, find something else. Stop whinging. Life is
0: more important than that. This is just beer, guys. You're getting a lot of nods in the crowd, I've got to say. A bit of a round of applause there as well. A big thank you to the crowd that's come out tonight. Are there any more questions from the crowd? The quick summary of the question is, is when you're having to blend beers, particularly when you're making such large batches now, I mean, particularly, I guess, compared to the old days, Know, how much sort of skill and effort goes into that blending, and how do you make all of that process work? You know, how much of the skill is that as much as the initial it's process? It's the hardest part in, yeah. in spirit making. Yeah.
2: You know, the master blender at at Johnny Walker has a has an insurance on their nose for five million pounds because ultimately, whenever we get into barrel aging, so we were, we we skipped over something kind of casually, and we we didn't really explain it. Barrel aging is part science, part art, and part magic. You know, you buy wood. It doesn't matter which distillery you're buying from. Because ultimately, each distillery has 200,000 barrels from all sorts of different wood, different charring. They're all going to—some will have mold, some will not have mold. They'll all age differently. What you're going to get is a back note to the beer being added. So you're not even going to be able to pick that distillery even if you knew what you were looking for. Um, when you buy those barrels, you're hoping that they've, you've bought a good barrel. And you're hoping that the beer interacts with it in a good way.
0: And they're they're really cheap, I'm told. (laughs)
2: And and the second thing about barrel aging is it's a fucking expensive process. Yeah, right. Here we go. In every barrel aged beer, the beer is 29% of the cost, 71% of the material cost. I'm not talking about labor, I'm just talking about raw materials. 71% of the cost is a barrel. I'm not accounting for losses, I'm not accounting for labor, I'm not accounting for anything. I'm just talking about the cost of malt, hops, and barrel. And I'm told by a smart man that that's just the cheap barrels. That's just the regular barrels. If you start getting into really fancy barrels, you can double and triple your barrel costs. I'm talking about your base bourbon barrel, which is the cheapest barrel you can pick up. You know, if you go into apple brandy, or if you go into something like a Willett Estate, or some of the harder-to-find rare barrels... AquaVit, You're you're driving up prices dramatically, right? And then your labor cost in a a barrel-aged beer, 25% or less is actually the labor which is assigned to making an imperial stat vis-a-vis four times more to make a barrel-aged beer because you're triple and quadruple handling it and tasting it. And then you're putting money away in these wooden casks and all this... Beer that you've produced And you're sitting on it Potentially Our longest aged beer Was 17 months in barrel So we've, we've Paid up Paid people's salaries Paid all this money Paid to import the barrels Paid rent And then sat on these barrels For two years Almost uh, You then lose A lot of beer When you're pulling the beer Out of the barrel Up to 10 to 20% And A lot of the barrels Go bad which are not fit to be blended back. So the cost component of making barrel-aged beers is is stupidly high, and it's a crime of passion. Uh, my CFO hates me for, for doing it. <laughs> um, and it involves a lot of magic and a lot of wish and a lot of praying at night uh, that these things come out great. So uh, the original question was, where the fuck was the original question? <laughs> well, the, skill, the oh,
0: skill's the skill. in blending a beer when it comes
2: So, yes, so, sorry. Especially in, in even just the core range beer. Sorry, so, so, we, so to go back to the blending part, the, the blending part, of, the component of, in, in, in beer happens in barrel aging because each barrel is different. So we're selecting barrels as they mature at the right time to blend into a beer, and we're not looking for consistency. However, our core range, we never blend. We've basically nailed the process. We never blend. It's, it's a very rare thing that we will miss because our tanks are much bigger. So if we miss the gravity on a batch, you know, we have four batches in a tank or eight batches in a tank. We'll compensate in the second tank, in the second batch.
0: I yes. think that's a really good spot to put a, put a little bow on the recorded part of things, uh, just like we do in the Zoom room. We are getting all sorts of audience reactions, even better than I normally do. Uh, but we, obviously, the, just like in the Zoom Room, we have the opportunity to sit around and have a bit more of a yarn after this. But apart from anything else, Maz, it's been fantastic to be out here on mm. your patch today, experience some of the best beers in Melbourne, Victoria, Australia, and indeed the world. Just like you've said, you're one of the most awarded breweries that comes out of Australia. And... We love the fact that we can pull the curtain behind the, well, away from the industry a little bit and have that discussion about what it's like to create these amazing beers that people love. The fact that it takes 18 months, the fact that you've got to make that investment. Not everyone recognises that, and we love the fact that we can talk about that kind of thing here in the cool room and uh, get to experience these awesome beers. Mr Warren Wu, put the bow on it, my friend.
1: Thank you very much, Maz. It's been amazing. Uh, thanks for your great hospitality, and um, yeah, more power to you. Thank you, thank you for having me. I mean, sorry, I may have may have uh, pissed off a
2: few people, but for me, it's it's the journey of beer. It's all about the beer. It's not a personal thing. Um, Thank you for having me.
1: (laughs) Thank you.